welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast, where it's the holiday season. So, Tommy, would you like to hear a story? Yes, I would. Okay, so here's a story for you. And it's kind of news, but not really. You'll see what I'm talking about here shortly. Um, did you know that Scott Niedermeyer has a gay son? No. I did not know that, although that's also something I wouldn't look up or really ask someone. Well, you know who I am, and everybody yeah, listening yeah. to this show knows who I am. I'm just saying so. personally, yeah. Well, that's fine. It's also Scott Niedermeyer and the Flyers. I understand that. So I'm bringing this up because I didn't know about this until the weekend, although other people knew long before I did. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I was told a story via sources the story is a, is a funny one to me, and I feel like I have to bring it up on some form of media because the world needs to know about this, even if I don't know how many people listening to Why Hockey Constitutes the World. I hope it's more than a... <laughs> if you've been with us all these years, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus. The story My guess that... is 100. I'm hoping for 200. That's the goal. That's not a bad goal. I, you gotta aim high. Here's my Scott Niedermeyer's son is gay story. He, I didn't know about it until I was told over the weekend. That is great. But the story here goes that he went to a Halloween party and wore a crop top of his dad's jersey. This is incredible. This has probably never happened before in the history of hockey. A hockey jersey crop top. And it was Scott Niedermeyer's son. I mean, I've definitely seen it before, not on a guy, although there's nothing... Well, you, like, you, um, I will I deal with the gay that. culture things for you, but, I mean, tops, like, obviously. Yeah, but I mean, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of the realm for even straight hockey players to take a jersey and turn it into a quote-unquote lacrosse penny, which is essentially... A crop top, but they don't like. They crop. are they are different things as a member of this I mean, community. I mean, like it, it, essentially, it's the same general visual. Yeah, although as I as, as again member of the community, I can tell you what what a crop top looks like in certain contexts, and it's it's not a lacrosse penny. But I will say well, yeah, that but, no. in, in my in in the defense of why I'm telling this story, because I don't think that there have been hockey jersey crop tops made by anybody ever so hey nhl i know that gary bettman was just named villain of the year by outsports so if you would like to you know reverse the pr trend here a little bit get your new jersey partner fanatics i know their jerseys aren't great but so it's very easy to make them the crop tops you just cut the bottom off and it'll fall off like it's nothing get fanatics to make crop tops of current nhl players i'm pretty sure Connor mcdavid crop top would sell like gangbusters do you want to support the gay community, the LGBTQ plus community that doesn't like you very much after events this year? I would say selling some crop tops might actually get people on side. Imagine the kinds of best selling jerseys you could get of crop tops of any number of NHL players. I, my only hesitation is just looking at how awful like their merchandise is to anything that's like not just a straight jersey or even like their hats are starting to get so poorly designed but like their women's line and their children's line are like notoriously just 
like the NHL store is is like one big gift shop. Okay, then, so then somebody on Etsy, please make yeah. NHL jersey crop tops and sell them to the gays at Pride because the NHL doesn't support Pride, but who <laughs> will find a way to make yeah. them drag into it anyway? I think if they do it, they need to do it like a partnership like teams do with their Pride jerseys or their, you know, their special night jerseys. Um, where they they have like an artist of that community or you know make a or you know who wants to honor the community make a jersey or whatever like you would do that like you would have those people make i am all for it because whatever 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 gets somebody to wear a crop top of the world's most random nhl player is something i need to see for for the culture you see yeah i mean I i don't know I don't know if you're going to get a custom custom back option or uh, some fourth line grinders, but I, I definitely think you, it's not it's not an unrealistic or not a too much of an ask to to have them spice up or change their merchandising. I would I would just take even just improving the quality um and just let some people from Etsy and stuff play around with jerseys like you send them a jersey and they they do it up for you. I would uh, be okay with that. Yeah. I'd absolutely be okay with that. I'm pointing this out because just working out of the system that you know is the NHL. Because at the end of the day, it's a bunch of old, boring people who clearly hiring the Jonas Brothers to do the pregame concert in New Jersey. Because ha ha ha, brothers from New Jersey, brothers in New Jersey, ha ha ha, Hughes brothers, Jonas Brothers. That's the level of their thinking right now, and I could, I, I can't, I really can't imagine tasking them with anything important. Well, do you not remember the NHL's official band, Green Day, who couldn't censor themselves during an All Star game, and we never heard from them again? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, it, I think that was their plan. Like, it's kind of like I'm, re- I don't want to do SNL ever again. I'll curse on SNL, so Lorne Michael like banishes me forever. You know, like, it's kind of a lazy way of quitting. Did you know that Green Day was the musical act at the Grey Cup this year? I didn't know that until somebody tweeted about it during the game. And- See, that makes sense. That's that's the level that they're they're at for me. Uh, um, they have a new album out, and one of their new songs is in a Taco Bell commercial. And the first time I heard it, I thought this was somebody doing a bad Green Day imitation, and it turns out, oh, no, that's just the new Green Day song. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, well. Can I finish my Scott Niedermeyer story for just one second? Because there's I, oh, two not, bits of it. There's, <laughs> there's more, yes. Well, isn't the point of a crop top is that there's less bits of it? No, like well, not, not with this story, because there are two parts of it I still want to get out to the world. First of all, Scott Niedermeyer apparently loves this. So, Scott Niedermeyer, big supporter of the community, and this is awesome, and you might be thinking to yourself, why wouldn't parents support their kids? You don't know the story of the LGBTQ plus community, sadly, if you don't realize that not all parents support their kids. But part two, what team do you think the Scott Niedermeyer crop top was worn by his son at this Halloween party? That was a really awkward way of phrasing it. Um, my intuition is Mighty Ducks. Like, you know, his dad won a cup with the Ducks, uh, and they have some really cool, like, retro jerseys and stuff that are pretty popular right now. I'm guessing it's not one of the teams he played on, 
because it's a you know part of the story. Uh, I'm gonna guess Flyers. It was a no. It was a Scott Niedermeyer Ducks jersey. I was surprised because first of all, it was Halloween, so why wouldn't it have been the Devils? Like, come on. But (laughs) good point. Good point. I was also thinking, you know, I know Scott Niedermeyer won a cup with the Ducks. I know he won it with his brother. But I've been told that these uh, the Niedermeyers have become very California, so I guess it makes more sense when you hear about it. I I will also say this: the Devils dynasty or whatever you want to call them the devil's team that constantly went to the cup finals and deep into the playoffs was a terror against the flyers i was Uh, about to say and i i hadn't yet put it this way i understand if because of the flyers fans listening to this show there are flyers fans out there who do i would imagine i understand your feelings about scott niedermeyer it is completely within your right to have the the bad thoughts come back to your brain, but we will talk about good flyers later. I'm making a point to do that. <laughs> but Scott Niedermeyer supports the LGBTQ plus community. That is more important than any sports rivalry at this stage in time. And I have to give him props. I yeah. have to give him props. Yeah, but I mean, I can see the ducks. That Chris Pronger, uh, Scott Niedermeyer pairing was is probably the best pairing I've seen in my life with my own eyes. Um, and is arguably, you know, the prototypical pairing you should look for. If you can find someone that, you know, it's hard to find a Chris Pronger and Scott Niedemeyer, but someone, you know, think about roles and, and that kind of stuff and frames and how they play the game. And, you know, that's the ideal one-two pairing. You got two guys who, um, can lead a team on their own and together it's just you can't do better than that i don't think you can't and you also can't do better than supporting your children even if you know one of them is not what you would expect but they did they did have four sons and the science is very very vague on a lot of this but there is some scientific evidence suggests that the more sons you have the more likely one of them is to be gay or queer or whatever Whatever, I'm just pointing it out. If you just, you know, accept that 10 to 15% of the population is, you know, the more kids you have eventually, you would, you know. I, yeah. I am, I'm pointing it out because you never can tell, and it's a great story, and I really enjoyed telling this story and the many tangents it veered off into. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy we got to lead off. Uh, <laughs> we podcast. got to lead off with it's Scott Niedermeyer. And I think, well, I also think, you know, usually when we have stories uh, around this community, it's kind of been sad or negative. Yes. And I'm just speaking of the devils in the queer community. They can wear their beautifully designed pride jerseys everywhere but the ice because this is the NHL and that's the stupidest sentence I've ever said on this podcast. I thought they changed that. No, 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 no. It's just pride tape. It's not the jerseys. It's just the tape because they were going to ban the tape and everybody was like, what the heck are you doing? So you can wear them. You can wear goalie masks and... Well, did you not see the Marc-Andre Fleury goalie mask controversy? Well, they they let him wear it. They They did let him wear it because eventually the NHL backed down because they're cowards. But I don't think anybody... So I think the Devils should just wear it and see what happens. I I would agree with you. Of course they won't, but I agree with you. But the fact is, they have designed a beautiful pride jersey. Um, Greg Wyshynski tweeted about it. I tweeted about it. 
And my tweet from earlier today was, players can wear their anywhere in the building except the ice. They can wear it walking into the rink, which I think the Coyotes did earlier this year for their Pride Night. You can, if the Scratches can wear it in the press box, they could wear it on the concourse, just not on the ice. They can bring it out and put it on the bench because they're not wearing it on the ice. I would like to see somebody try that out. It's laying or hanging from the bench. You know, we've we've seen in soccer, like, players holding up the jerseys in the line. You remember Neymar in the 2014 yeah. World Cup? He was so grievously injured he couldn't play, but the Brazilian players held it up in the the uh, the line, right? Yeah. In, in the, and then they lost 7-1. So I'm not saying this is the equivalent of it. I'm saying it's happened before in other sports. Put the pride jersey on the bench. You get good juju from that. Well, I'm, I'm always one for a good protest and a good sticking it to authority, especially when it comes down to what you can and can't wear or, you know, things like that. I don't think anybody in the NHL thought of just putting the pride jersey on the bench because that's not the ice. Yeah, it doesn't have to touch the and most buildings, most buildings, especially this would be a home game for the teams doing this. Your home team bench does not like you don't have to cross the ice to get there. It's you know, you come out the tunnel, you can go. So it would never be on the ice one second. You you know, you can have them hanging up the tunnel if you if you want to make sure that they don't like get you with oh well the bench is part of the ice surface yeah blah, and they blah, have blah. cameras in the tunnel we have yeah. cameras of them going to and from the bench yeah. so you can see the pride jersey and it doesn't even have to be one of those fancy tunnels like you have in Seattle or Vegas the Panthers tunnel is just a terrible hallway you can put yeah. it there I, I mean I'm I think they should be doing this for all nights I think we should have I think they should every home game. I don't think we should get to like, you know, single A baseball levels of marketing during games and or like ECHL. You know, yeah, but I I mean I think you, that we should have different you I mean if we have Star Wars and Grateful Dead night and stuff and we're actively seeking different, you know, we have corporate communities, we have industry conferences and stuff that we that the Flyers host and you know, host at games and things like that. Why wouldn't you go after a segment of the audience, make them feel welcome, give them nights and give them reasons to buy merchandise, buy tickets, whatever. Isn't the end of the game, isn't the end of the day, we want to be one of the big four sports. We want to compete with them dollar for dollar. We want to have big, large salary caps. We want to be able to have big, large profits and revenues and all that. And you can do more of that when (laughs) you go after people who historically do not buy tickets from you and merchandise from you. Did people realize that gay men, the kind of gay men that might go to hockey games or queer men or queer women or whoever you might are, however you identify your gender identity, what have you, a lot of these people don't have kids and have disposable income. They can spend it to go to these games. Yeah, I I, I get that. But I also, you know, I don't want to say that you know they don't have families or anything because oh, well, you some, know of course I've, plenty do but some and, don't and plenty are, are are former players that you know are, may or may not have their kids play and stuff like that and can i make one other point that i have to make here um does a bunch of overly boozed up corporate executives in a luxury suite bidding too much money on auctionable jerseys for charity count as hockey related revenue I mean, yes. Like that's like that's the stuff like I don't get. Like 
And even if it's not like, and let's just assume it doesn't, it's still enriching the pockets of the owners and the franchise, which allows them to do hockey better, whether they put it into training or tech or upgrades to the facility or whatever. It's good for the fan base. It's good for everybody. And that's what I don't get. It, if you're shutting out the, if you're shutting out anybody, whether whether you want to like ban Russian players, whether you want to, whether you think that people who have different ideology than you or a different lifestyle than you or have a different sexuality than you shouldn't be able to enjoy the local hockey team or the local football team or whatever, you're just hurting your local football team. You're just uh, it. It's I I don't get it, but I guess that's what hate and prejudice is. Sure enough. Uh, speaking of things we strongly dislike, uh, the Panthers can't score goals for some reason. Oh my. Uh, Actually, I, not for some reason. We know what the reason is. Heck of a yeah. transition there by somebody who does not do <laughs> podcast transitions as well as other podcast hosts I've heard. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the horse we've already killed multiple times because, yeah. you know, we talked about this before. But I want to bring this up again because it's become a an avenue of discussion, especially when they get shut out two times in a row and then score one goal against a not great flames team. Because here's the difference to last year's discussion. If you go back and listen to last year's shows, we talked about this before. Like why are the Panthers struggling to generate the kind of offense they did before? And we mentioned a lot of it is the way they play and the systems that, you know, they were attempting to play last year and they're clearly playing it better this year. And the difference between last year and this year is that they've, not entirely, but 90% fixed a lot of the defensive issues. And they're a far better defensive team than they have been at any point the last couple of years. But they still have to work too hard for offense. They don't have a bunch of natural finishers. And as you tweeted uh, on Tuesday night watching the Flyers game and Scott Hartnell saying, in order to score, you have to lift the puck up because goalies are too good down low. I'm thinking that Scott Hartnell maybe perhaps listens to Y Hockey for some reason because that's the thing you're going on about now, all the time. Well, Scott Hartnell, I mean, obviously he's an NHL player, so his shots, everything he he can do at hockey is ridiculous. But for an NHL player, it's not like he had a uh, he had a rick, wicked shot. He wasn't like picking his spots. I mean, at times he does, but so did Aaron Ashram, so did Sean Thornton, you know. But like. He got greasy goals. He just knew how to score goals. And if this guy's saying, and he, and where did he score goals? Net front, in the crease, on the power play. You know, if he's saying to score goals this way, you know it's right. You know that's what he needs to do. And his former line mate and teammate, Danny Briere, every warm-up, at the end of every warm-up for every game, he'd grab like 20 or so pucks. He'd stand like literally to the side of the net, like right on top of the net, and he'd just take every puck and he'd just pull it in and flip it up right under the bar. And they were hard. They were ping, 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 barn in, barn in. And he would do that. And you could tell he did it every day, whether it was like getting off the ice at practice or getting on the ice or whatever. He would just practice sitting there at like the closest he could be to scoring a goal on top of the goalie and flicking that puck straight up into the, into the net because that's what you need to do if you look at what florida has been doing we've been saying it for weeks now they've just been stuffing pads they've been shooting low and a lot of times people have been saying oh well they need to shoot 
they need to like have their guys not be right on top of goalies, have them further out. Yeah, maybe or whatever, but in that's not a problem for other teams. Other teams are scoring on us in tight by lifting the puck, you know? Like th- that's the biggest thing for me is lifting pucks and how you do that is through practice and confidence and you get confidence through practice. We've already talked about small area drills and all that stuff. I've seen the Flyers beat writers tweet out videos over the past couple weeks where they're doing creative scoring, quick shooting drills, small area scrimmage drills, compete drills, things like that, that players find fun, engaging. They go hard in, but they're constantly shooting the puck on net, constantly scoring goals, and constantly being challenged in a way where they have limited time and space like they would in a game. And if you're not, if the, and by what we know, we're not local. We get, we don't go to the practices, but from what the people who tell us what's going on at practice, that's not what the Panthers are doing. I would love someone, please tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that they're doing those types of drills weekly, at least, you know, that they have Hornquist coming out, working on guys shots and guys are out there lifting pucks and, you know, working on scoring goals and making it muscle memory. Because that's what they're lacking right now. Confidence, muscle memory, and just, you know, doing it. Because what they're used to doing is working on defense, working on grit, working on winning battles and all that stuff. System stuff. Yeah, which is great. Which is great. But you kind of have to start and, – and you don't have to change the way you play because you look at all the data. Advanced stats are showing they're creating enough chances. It's just they're not finishing them. So it's just – you don't have to change the way you play. You just have to – finish the chances you are getting. And I think if you did that, you'd be a top five team in the NHL. No worries, no problems. And as I want to point out here, this team is really pretty good. Like they have had some ups and downs on this road trip. But if you look at like the sport logic numbers that TSN posts, and I think Jay Fresh has, you know, viz of it, like they're third in the league in expected goal yeah. differential or something like that. So it's not as if they are a team with structural deficiencies like they had last year. And from a defensive standpoint, this was the thing we talked about at the start of the season, and they have since largely addressed. It's not perfect because you can't be perfect, but they've largely addressed a lot of these defensive issues. They are a much more cohesive defensive unit in so many ways, and it's why you have not seen a lot of games this year where you're like, wow. That was a terrible goaltending performance, and you would hear somebody like me say, yeah, but the defense in front of him was not very good, and the defense contributed to that problem. We're not saying that that much because the Panthers are just a better defensive team. Like I go back to right after we recorded the last show, they played Pittsburgh, and I know the Penguins have a terrible power play, but the Penguins had about two minutes of six on four towards the end of the game, and the Panthers just shut them down completely. I don't think I've seen as good a performance six on four shorthanded than what Florida did. They just kept everything to the outside. There were no good chances. And that half of the game, it's not perfect, but it's so much better than it's been. And that's confidence from the playoffs. But if you're going to have to be playing a bunch of these coin flip games, which they are, because if you're playing this kind of defensive hockey, you're going to be playing coin flip games. You need to have guys who can just put the puck away. Because once they did that against Edmonton, the game was over, even though it was the Oilers. Because the Oilers were going to give up something stupid, and the Panthers were going to finish a chance at some point. And 
those are the kind of games this team needs right now. Not because they don't need to, of course they need to win. They're not chasing a playoff spot at this point. They're not entirely certain, of course, to make it, but they're in very good shape compared to last year, obviously, and a bunch of other teams. But they've left points on the table, like in that Calgary game, because they just didn't finish their chances. And if a couple of those go in from things that they can control, hockey is obviously a game with a ton of variance and a ton of stupid luck that goes into it. If you can take some of that out of the equation by finishing your chances better, guess what? They have three, four more wins, and we're talking about them possibly winning the division as opposed to right now, frustrated that they're losing games they could have won because it's not even that they're getting goalied as much, it's that Jacob Markstrom is seeing a lot of these shots. They're not hard for him to stop. You know? yeah, and he knows they're shooting. They're not deceptive. They're not, you know, like, it's not just seeing them. It's, you know, there's a lot of times on two-on-ones where the goalie has a clear shot, but, the, you know, there's an act of deception. There's a change in the release point. There's a fake. There's something that, you know, can get him to move or move his focus or whatever. And, you know, there, there's a lot of great points, and I really agree with a lot of what you said. So I'll, I'm going to try not to repeat it and just kind of give some some other things. Uh you know, just in talking about last year, you know, last year the offense was fixed because Barkov, Kachuk, and Montour went on a two-month torrid pace of putting up a point and a half a game each. Like, that's what, that drove the bus. If you're, and that could drive the bus again this year, but that's a lot to ask of these players. And then what are you at? And then you're still asking for them stuff almost in July. You know, to you know, this year again, it's going to late June, uh, the season. So, you know, and that's where you want this team to be. There's no reason why you can't be setting your sights on another Eastern Conference final and another shot at the Cup. You know, that's that's where Florida can easily be. And given that, like you said, why not improve your chances by shoot, improving your shooting percentage? on chances you're already creating playing what other teams would consider a more conservative defensive first game. Uh, and I liked what you said, you know, just about like the two minutes that they killed against Pittsburgh. That's a great example of what's changed defensively for the team. Uh, you know, playing good defense. It's not like offense offense. You need skill. You need luck. You need a lot of things. Defensive skill is mainly, you know, mental and physical strength, timing, awareness, commitment, focus, that kind of stuff. The ability to be driven, to stay in a structure, work as a unit, to deny someone a, a chance without touching the puck, maybe not even being around play, but knowing... I always have to be thinking. I always have to be doing my shoulder checks, checking who's around me, uh, seeing if there's somebody slipping into here, watching my coverage, you know, watching the play to make sure that, you know, it, it's not coming to my, you know, seeing where the puck's going to go next and where, you know, I have to shift to in the coverage and rotate and all that stuff. That's draining. You know, there's a lot of reasons why guys who get a lot of offense don't necessarily put in a lot of time and effort defensively because if they did, they wouldn't get that offense. Uh, 
you know, and I'm okay when that limits Florida's offense. I don't think that's necessarily the case, though, right now. I think they're putting in all the work. They're still getting the chances, and they have the ability to finish those chances, but they just aren't confident. If they were missing the net shooting high, if they were shooting high and getting robbed or hitting a lot of posts and crossbars, missing the nets, it'd be a different story for me. A lot of it is putting it into the pads putting it into the logo, putting it into shin pads in front of them. Uh, and I think they can improve on that through, you know, we talked about that. Uh, and, you know, again, tying it back into their improvements on defense, if you can show commitment and the ability to improve this quickly on on defense and winning board battles and becoming playoff hockey, you can figure out, you know, ways to lift the puck in close and to bear down on chances once or twice a game. Can I also make a couple of points on this, too? Because I think what's important to say is, if the Panthers were able to finish a couple of these chances, I want to give out a couple of numbers uh, in a second on just how badly they're doing it that right now. Then they're 2-3-0 up, and I know there's a lot of comebacks in the league right now, Columbus, but and they came back from 3-0 down against the Panthers at one point this season and found a way to lose. But my point is, the Panthers are one of the best teams in the league right now at locking it down. They have one, I think, loss in overtime when they lead after two periods. So if they have a lead, even if it's one goal, they know how to shut it down. You give them three goals most nights the way they play defensively, they're going to win. And if you finish a couple of these chances, then you don't have to expend that kind of energy playing all of that mentally and physically yeah. draining defensive hockey because you're winning 4 nothing, and there's no way another team's coming back against you down 4 nothing because the Panthers play defense. And you don't have to tax Barkoff playing a million minutes yeah. a night because he's got to be on at the end of the game. And you said it against Edmonton. He played 16 minutes, and it was great because he didn't have to play that much. They yeah. were winning. Yeah, and, you know... Uh, I. I don't want to emulate Toronto in any respect. And obviously, you know, everything we say is couched in at least, you know, it's a lot worse in Toronto. Other franchises, other teams are doing worse, have more problems. Even look at the New York Rangers, you know, they're doing really well this year. But if I were to, if we were to face the Rangers in a playoff match, I would feel really good outside the scoring issue and Shesterkin, you know, but they have, I think they don't have, that swagger, they don't have, you know, a lot of guys who are going to be in a playoff series that I'm worried about. Like, there's Panarin who can always score, but I'm kind of worried about him in a lot of the same ways that teams would be worried about, uh, name, I don't know. Maybe your pick, name you, you know, like, getting hot or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's not like a Kachuk or a Barkov where it really sets up huge matchup. Your matchup is the goalie. Yeah. You know, your matchup is not getting your head taken off by Truba. But, you know, last year they had Gouda, so I wasn't worried about it. And this year they're a pretty tough team again, too. I'm not super worried about it. And it's really interesting because you look around the league – this year in the East, and so many teams this year, even the good teams are kind of mid. Because you look at the Bruins and you go, well, the Panthers beat them last year when they were a million times better. And you look at them this year and you go, I'm still not that terrified of them. You look at Toronto and you're not that terrified of them and they're also fattened up on loser points. 
You look at the Rangers, as you said. But then all these other teams, like the, the, the Devils don't really play defense and they've got a goaltending issue. Carolina has massive goaltending problems right now. The Panthers, if you look at the problems that you'd want to have, if your problem right now is, hey, we're shooting, according to Money Puck, 8.5% when, you know, which is six worst in the league, it's not a bad problem to have because that can regress by luck, but it can also regress by things you are doing. And I remember seeing right. on, a, on Hockey Night in Canada on one intro, they were talking about Josh Anderson. And I only remember this because of the drill they were doing where he hadn't scored many goals. So Marty St. Louis, they set up one, the, the net, and then another net facing you know the net a little lower. So you have to lift the puck in between the low net and the high net, right? Yeah. yeah. Why can't you do something like that? Like, fire pucks I mean, in there kind of and thing. And again, maybe they are, but I constantly ask beat writers on Twitter through public tweets and DMs, or, you know, I, I ask fans that are go to the area, or if someone says they go to practice every once in a while, I'll be like, hey, you know, can you, in a DM, what, can you tell me what drills they did? Or, like, you know, what kind of drills they did? And, you know, if, and, you, know, if you go to a practice or something, just feel free to message me or tweet me. This is what they're doing. You know, I, I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. I think I was, I loved practice. I was definitely what coaches would call a practice player, a guy who, you know, gets the most value out of practice and gets other players engaged in practice and gets them to get value out of it. And, uh, you know, I think like seeing what they're, they're, I'm confused. Because to me, this regression shouldn't be this long based on, you know, just and, and based on the eye test, it's not like, yeah, there's a lot of times they miss the net or they hit posts or goalies make great saves and everything. But I've never seen a team up and down their lineup fail to not lift pucks, fail to miss open nets when they have time, space, and everything, it is, it is mental. It is something I don't. I think it's beyond luck, and it's something that you gotta you gotta work at and be proactive because you don't want to be in February like, okay, it's not regressing now. What you want to at least have tried some things. So if you need outside help or if you need to do something a little more radical you already kind of done, you know, steps, you know, easy option A or, you know, this makes common sense option B of, you know, we practiced, we, you know, maybe changed the lineup a little bit. It's not working. Let's, let's see if we can bring somebody in, you know, whether that's a center to put Lundell in the line, you know, I've seen some people, uh, fl uh, flying fluffy, uh, draws, you know, uh, I saw him say that they should, have Stenlin be the third line center and move Lundell up. I mean, that's not something I would do. I think, you know, the ceiling's pretty low of what Stenlin as a third line center can accomplish. And he only has one point in his last 13 games. So like, what's the difference between snake bit and Lundell and that? Um, but you know, maybe it gets Lundell going on the first line. Maybe, you know, that just works somehow. Now, somehow Barkov and Lindell need to not get sick long enough to <laughs> together. 
Um, but you know, I'd be interested in trying that. Like there's so many things I, I'm so interested in figuring out because I'm looking at this team. I look up and down the roster, even though Evan Rodriguez isn't a finisher, he's not this bad at finishing, you know, like even, even though like they have guys like cousins and stuff, cousins isn't a finisher. And last year he probably finished the, you know, above what he could do at times, but you know, he wasn't, there was, he was still putting in enough easy gimme goals that it was like, yeah, this is a $1 million player and he's playing to his value and he's a bottom six guy that makes sense on a team with cup, you know, with some playoff aspirations. I can see it this year. It's tough to see, you know, Lawrence, I'm, I'm really struggling to figure out why we traded Duclair for 2 million in cap space. Um, you know, for Lawrence, uh, when a guy like um, Lomberg, you know, I, I can see value in more than Lawrence. Lawrence isn't bad and everything, but, um, you know, so I, I there's definitely room to add somebody, whether it's a fourth-line center, whether it's a third-line center, whether it's a top-six winger, um, or even just somebody that's kind of a luxury offensive skill guy who needs to be sheltered that you can put with Lundell and Lawstrainen. Maybe it's Frank Vetrano. Maybe it's somebody else that's like that, you know, not going to, that shouldn't cost a huge amount of, of assets, but is a guy who does one thing really well, scores goals. And this year he's still on a tear and you, you just got to think, you know, he's playing really well this year. He's just got it. So let's just see if we can get him to get it here for a couple more months. Um, I could totally see that because at some point you got to do something to juice these numbers. Uh, because think about it. This is what they're scoring when teams aren't doing as much video and matchups and defensive work as they do in the playoffs. If we're shooting like this and we have this kind of stuff and it doesn't just magically reassert itself and, and you can't get the, one and a half points out of your top three to four guys on the ice every night, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to win a series. And it's going to be such a knockout, drag out fight. You might not be able to go on that run you did last year. You might That adrenaline after a while starts to wear off. And they had a long run last year. They've been injured this year. They're playing tough games from the get-go. I mean, they were behind... Oh, and two to start the season, right? You know, they've been battling, they've been grinding, they've been doing great work, they've been winning games and putting points on the board. They got 38 points and six, 613 points percentage. You know, it's not, it's not terrible, but I mean, I'm looking at this team and I'm looking up and down the East, and every team has problems, which means every team's exploitable, which means again, you have a good shot wherever you end up in the standings, wherever you play in the first round, whether you move into the Metropolitan or you play, stay in the Atlantic, you know, I think they have a shot of going the distance, going to that final, the Eastern Conference final, and having a at least a coin flip shot of winning the series, you know? So I I I'm just like what can they do to improve on the edges? It's shooting percentage and maybe getting a replacing Stolars. That's what I'm looking at. I think I think over time you're going to see less Kulikov and more other defensive options, and you're going to figure. Maurice is going to figure out who he's going to use and what ma- in certain matchups and 
how he's going to share the load or who he's going to go with in the playoffs, and that'll be so, sh- shored up. You, 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 Zito is going to do what he's going to do in the trade market, I think, offensively. He's either going to trust his guys or he's going to go out and try to get somebody because um, you can tell. It's like that game where like there's the missing square and you move all the other squares to move the one square from the top left to the bottom right. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. that one square missing, and you can move them all around, and he can fix that problem a bunch of different ways, but until you add that extra piece, it's not going to be complete. And I, I think they're still going to see these. Yeah, there's a lot to think about when it comes to the Panthers figuring out what they need to do in order to just be a slightly better offensive team. Because we're not talking about them being an incredible offensive team. They don't have to be. They just need to be slightly better. And if no. they are slightly better, then the the ceiling is the ceiling is incredibly high. Like they don't have to worry about it and chase it in so many ways because at this point in time, they're not really under threat from a lot of teams behind them. And I want to get to that because really, other than Barkov is going to run away with the Salki and he might keep playing this way, he might end up getting into legitimate heart conversations because he is the team is so much better with him on the ice than it is without him. And that is a little concerning, but it goes back to what we were talking about before. Other than that, like there isn't a ton to talk about with them. They're a good team that went through some blips, but the blips are ones we have seen before. They don't finish their chances in the way that they should. And hopefully they, they figure that out because they're going to need to score a few more goals and finish a little bit better in the playoffs. That is what they did a year ago, and you don't want to leave it to chance that you might not. You know what I mean? I I do know what you mean. It feels like every game there's three to four chances that if when they happen against the Panthers, it feels like they go in. Whether that's true or not, you know, that's what it feels like that, you know, when the other team gets an empty net, they pot it. When there's that big turnover and the goalie makes a mistake, you know, it's it's in the net. And there's two to three chances, maybe four some nights, where I look at it and I'm like, one of those. If they just got one of those, they tie the game and get the overtime point like Toronto keeps stacking up. You hate it. I don't want to emulate them. But the reason they're ahead of us in the standings with, like, no regulation wins is because they just keep stacking overtime points because they score a lot. They might be worse defensively and everything, but they score enough to keep getting these overtime points. And that's what Florida can't isn't doing right now. But they can. They, they definitely can. Um, they're, they're, they're like the only team in the league that is not fat on loser points. It's incredible. Yeah. But, and, and again, it's not like, you know, there's – okay, well, in the playoffs, it won't matter. But it's like, but you might get a better playoff matchup if you do it. You might have an easier season if you if you get some of those points and stuff. And you don't, you don't want to turn wins into overtime loser points. You know, the thing is, like, when, you, when you're losing games that they are close games and they give up that third period goal or whatever, they fall behind and you can't score that one extra goal which the Panthers, you know, in the end of Talon years to the beginning of Zeter years, come back cats, right? You know, cardiac cats. They would be able to do it because they were outscoring problems. Uh, and I think 
they're I don't know if they'll ever get to that level or the late the Maple Leafs level where they're just outscoring the problems enough that they're picking up, you know, so many loser points. You know, during the President's Trophy year, they picked up a lot of those too, and then had all those comebacks and stuff like that. I don't think they're gonna get there again, but they certainly can do better. And um, you know, I'm looking at the high da- high danger high danger goals for percentage. And uh, it, the Panthers are under 50%. And you know what's NHL. also funny? Like, if you look at their power play, where a lot of their finishing issues come through, like their expected goals on the power play, according to Money Puck, is something like 53%. And their expected power play, they have the best expected power play goal percentage goal, according to Money Puck, as we are recording this on Wednesday, December the 20th. In the league, and their power play is like twentieth. <laughs> yeah. So again, is that it's not a generating chances issue? That's a different issue entirely. It is a finishing your chances issue. Yeah. And I think if you asked Paul Maurice, he would very much like a finishing your chances issue as opposed to a generating chances issue. But look, they have a better expected goals percentage on the power play according to Money Puck, where they have a little less than fifty percent of the power play time. It's better than Colorado at Edmonton. So structurally, a lot of things are working pretty well. They're not bearing down and finishing their I, chances. With the power play, I think it's a little different. Yes, I think they're not bearing down and finishing some chances they do have. But I think that the they do a lot of expected goal padding. Like Matt could, Matthew Kachuk will be in front of the net in a grade A chance and take three whacks at it into the pads. That counts as three like really good high danger chances that don't get scored on don't turn into goals. So that's going to juice expected goals and kill your, your real goals. Cause that should be a real goal that turned into three expected goals or whatever. I, I don't know. You know, just to use lazy, everybody has different formulas. I'm sure it's not one-to-one like that, but you know, like I, I think what they do on the power play is they stay stationary. Like if you were to, if you were to ask most fans that watched hockey the last couple of years what the average generic NHL play power play structure looked like and how it was run, they would draw up what Florida does, and since it's two dimensional drawing, it would look exactly like Florida's power play because there's no movement. And when they take shots, the goalie has at least a second to set up because he knows the shot's coming. When they make, you know, like, you know where they want to get shots from. And you know the plays they run. And they kind of just go through the, I don't want to say go through the motions because I, I, the intent and the efforts there. It's, they, they go through the script. They pass it around and they do the plays and everything. And, you know, they do the pop play to Reinhardt and everything. And, you know, sometimes they score on that, sometimes they don't. But they do it so fast and they do it so predictable predictable that, you know, the goalie's not fooled. You might get the defenseman to turn the wrong way and open up the lane enough to get a pass through. And then it's just about Reinhardt finding a hole in the goalie. But, like, the goalie's not really fooled on it. If they did more plays, whether they keep that same structure or they go to a different structure, I constantly say reverse umbrella behind the net power play structure i said it with huberto and yager and i'll and campbell i'll say it now 
Like that's what they should be doing, giving the skill sets of the Fords and their star players they constantly go after and get. Um, that they should be working it behind the net, get the goalie deep in the stance, have movement. Working behind the net will make them move side to side because you can't set up in the center behind the net and really do anything. You have to move. There has to be players moving and cycling with you. And you have guys who score well off the cycle. Carter Verhage is great coming off the cycle and just snapping one high far or high near side and catching goalies sleeping. Like, you know, Bennett is a guy that you would, that just eats off the cycle and would do well on this. And having the, just taking those five-on-five five traits and putting them into the power play I think is great. Just tell them to play normal. Just start there. Just, you know, stop with the standing and passing it around the horn and just have them play normal because the talent's there and the guys, I think, will start scoring more. Uh, You know, I think Montour plays really good downhill. If you can get movement down low in the zone, you will open up the defensive PK structure where Montour can start jumping down into the play. That's when he's executes offensively the best. And if he can't do that, I think he's going to still struggle QBing that power play and they're going to have to go to somebody else. Well, we've already uh, seen them try a bunch of different yeah. things and they're I still think, doing it. I mean, I think they have to they have to say I think it's obvious and I think they know what the issue is. It's how do they go about getting that movement? The only way they kind of get that movement is with that Reinhardt play that we talked about where it's, you know, Q, whoever's the QB at the time, like Montour down to Barkov on the half wall, Barkov to Kachuk, sometimes back to Barkov and then back to Kachuk, who then passes it to Reinhardt in the slot. And, like, that's their movement. But they need somebody to take the puck. Like, Barkov needs to take the puck off the half wall and drive center slot or drive to the net. Make someone step out and take him, because then that opens up the lane. And if you and it, when they when Barkov drives the net, they should have other guys drive the net or other guys drive to support him. Whether that means Kachuk popping out and being behind him, so if he gets traffic, he can just kind of drop the puck behind him safely to Kachuk, kind of, and they, they do a takeover and and Barkov just keeps driving the net, pushing space, and Kachuk can move the puck you know, to the next guy or, or, or on net, you know, like that kind of stuff. Or having guys drive the slot, having guys cut through the center of the box so someone has to take them, or setting up weirdly ex- skewed because right now they're in the standard spots. Like when you – if you were to draw on a board or whatever, where you put a guy on the half on the power play, that's where the guy on Florida's power play stands 80 to 85% of the two minutes. Or, or the zone time of the two minutes. So it's kind of like, you know, everything I think is real simple. And the issue is how, how much urgency and how does Paul Maurice address this with the team? I'm, I'm very interested in how this is going to carry out through the rest of the season. Uh, the early results are is he's preaching calm. You know, this is... This is Cristiano Ronaldo scoring and doing his calma, you know, celebration. Just everything's down, you know. We got this. They're, you know, Matt, Matthew Kachuk's out there saying, "I don't care if I score five goals all year. I don't care. 
I'm playing great hockey. I'm not doing anything. And I think a lot of that is the right mentality and everything. I just want them to tack on the practicing, lifting pucks and stuff. Be like, okay, everything we're doing is great, but uh, we do have a little issue that is easily fixable, and you know that that just takes ten minutes every day, fifteen minutes every day. You know, I don't think it's too much to ask for. Or you know, hey, you know, if we just fix our power play scoring, you know, let's let's figure out a fun way to practice power play or to get this power play moving whether it's having the players come up with plays themselves or whatever, you know, Maurice has to figure out how to do this and how to balance keeping the playoff style, but adding in, let's call it regular season style. Because I think what we're seeing, we're seeing scores like 7-2, the Coyotes are killing teams some games and getting killed by other 9-4 Blue Jackets over the Sabres. You know, like there's... And it was one nothing 15 minutes into the game or something like that, Sabres. So, you know, like the regular season is a whole different beast in the playoffs. And you can argue, we can talk about why that is. Me personally, I think the game has fundamentally changed because of the rule changes. And we're now seeing the generation of kids who have only known hockey post the rule changes, whether it was before they played, while they played moving up through while they played juniors, while they played college. And that's also why we're seeing a lot of guys get stapled from behind because these are people who never had to keep their head on a swivel. Or, you know, they're players that simply think that they can cross the blue line and they're not going to get targeted. They can cut through defenders and, like, they, they're not going to get hit. They can turn to the boards to do an escape move and not get hit from behind. Like we see that we see a lot of teams and like, why are the flyers good to kind of start transitioning into that? I was about to say, we want to transition into talking about the flyers and give them some runway because they have more points than the Panthers right now. All right. Well, I'm going to do that. So let me do it. Cause I got it teed up pretty well. You do go just for like, it. just like the Panthers, the flyers are unique. They are preaching compete they are preaching playing a playoff style hardness effort level every game matters every shift matters go out and do your job so the next person behind you can go out and do their job accountability that is unique in the regular season this year and i think because it's so unique you can like the flyers are getting scoring luck that the panthers aren't you know, they're getting Sean Walker to have two goal games multiple times this year. You know, that's, you know, they've had Mikola pick up some secondary assist, multiple secondary assists and get a goal and do, you know, every once in a while. But the Flyers are getting a lot better shooting luck. And so. And you know what's funny? According to Money right. Puck, they actually have a worse shooting percentage than the Panthers do. But they have 92 save percentage goal yeah, goal but the luck right now. Is like, like I, the amount of goals I think that they're getting on, you know, and who they're getting them from and stuff. Like, it is, like, it's not sustainable. And if you listen to Keith Jones on the Kiprios and Bourne uh, podcast, uh, you know, and they know that. Like, he's saying, I don't consider us a contender. I don't see us with the top with the division leaders of the metropolitan yet, you know, we're getting a lot. He was, I mean, you should listen. If you're a Flyers fan, you should listen to that. 
interview because he was, you know, talking about, you know, guys that they thought that they were going to trade, making it hard to trade and earning t- time with the Flyers and earning still being here. And, you know, they're, they're letting the players dictate what happens. But at the same time, they're realistic about what, wh- what that realm of possibility is. And they're not really changing from their, their long-term plans that align with Mitchkov. So, um, you know, by the way is tearing up the KHL. You could have seen that coming. You got, and and this, and I think, you know, when I said Torts would be a great fit for Florida, I think that's being shown right now. He would have been, whether you like, liked him or not, or, you know, there's issues with him, just like we have issues with Maurice. Maurice is also showing he was a great hire uh, for Florida. Can but I, I think- interrupt you again? I know I'm doing yeah. that a lot, but I want to make a point about coaching here that's just related to this for a second because the Predators are also playing pretty well right now. I know they beat the Flyers a couple of days ago. Um, and a lot of people are wondering, oh, what's going on with that team? Well, Andrew Burnett's a pretty good coach. I think we knew that already. What he did with the Panthers was very impressive, right? There's nothing really much to say about that. In my view, Andrew Brunette, I don't think, was the right coach for Florida at the time that they were going through making that decision. And Paul Maurice proved that correct. He got them to the Stanley Cup final, and they're a very good team this year. But Andrew Brunette's a pretty good coach for what Nashville is right now. And I also think in the way that, you know, John Tortorella, he got a lot out of some ugly Flyers teams. You know, he's got a lot out of ugly teams his entire career. And last year's Flyers team was not very good and played above its head for a while. And this year, it's a lot easier to look at the Flyers and see the young players working and competing hard and all of these cast-offs, Sean Walker types, right? Competing hard and getting better. And the comments he made about Rasmus Ristolainen, which are quite funny to me, you know, or I think it was Ristolainen commenting on John Tortorella, I wish he was my first coach or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it just... I think it just fits. I think it fits right now the vibe of that team as underdogs, right? And Paul Maurice got something into the Panthers that they were always going to buy into. We need to play a better playoff style because we saw what happened the last two years before Maurice came in. And John Tortorella's shtick is working a lot better with a team like this as opposed to some of the other teams that Flyers teams that didn't want to commit to an actual rebuild. Like, it's funny how we actually think that John Tortorella was well, never going to be a good rebuilding coach. And it turns out he's not a bad rebuilding coach. Yeah, I mean, he's not. I, it, again, it's the right mix. He's He feels he's got a trusted voice. He feels like when he speaks up, he's heard. They go, you know, like it is, it's not... It's not just the front office's vision. It's not just Tortorella's vision. It is a compromise. And it's a compromise that's working now because the, all the players are, you know, for the most part are happy. Um, and they're winning. The fans are loving it. You know, the front off, it's a breath of fresh air. Everybody's got good vibes. And that's what they were going for. They, they brought in... You know, Keith Jones, and if you ever listen to anything anybody says about Keith Jones, it's how how great he is as a human. And one of the reasons he's so great is because there's hockey IQ and then there's, you know, understanding people. And he understands people. And you have Danny Briere, 
coming in who I think gets a lot of credence from players in that locker room. There's a lot of young guys who skill guys who can appreciate what Danny Breer does. There's a lot of guys who worked hard their whole life who can appreciate Danny Breer working his way through the minors and, and things like that and working his way and what he had to do at his size in the NHL to, to have that, that many games played and to put up the points he did in the playoffs. You know, you have that right. And then you have Tortorella. And, you know, that's a whole different personality from Briere and, and Jones. So, you know, and they all played. You know, you have Tortorella who's a coach and everything. He's like, he, I've won a cup. I can say I did this. You have Jones who's played. You have Briere who's played. Those are respected voices. They all offer something different. And, uh, you know, then you have players like Katoria who's coming back and is absolutely killing it. If Barkov was non-existent, Katoria would be the guy I'm, I'm beating the drum for for Selkie. I think he should be in the top three for Selkie. I think he is that doing that well. And if the Flyers make the playoffs, I think he should stay top three for Selkie because um, he's, I mean, he's just getting it done after missing how many games, coming back from two back surgeries. I mean, like, it's ridiculous what he's doing um, and what they're getting out of him. They're getting – the Flyers have two good goalies right now. Two good goalies right now. Two of them. And they're getting along, knock on wood, uh, knock on wood, you know, for, for the rest of the, the season. The audio did pick that up in case people I'm, are wondering. I'm good. I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, you know, so, like, there's a lot to like. And, you know, it's just about how how long is Torts and these players going to keep that underdog vibe going where they cement the playoffs. I mean, the only negative thing you can say about the Flyers is everything's going well, but it's going one year early too well. If they made the playoffs next year, I'd be like, oh, my God, they're on track. This is like this is great. Everything's you know, they're, they're maybe even a year ahead. This year, it's like, oh, oh, no, okay. I hope they have the drafting to, to deal with this because I'm looking at this draft class. It's a pretty good draft class. It's not, there's no Bedards, you know, that, okay, that's fine. But you're, they have Mitchkoff. They have their superstar. Yeah, they could maybe use another center. But you can maybe they do that with the Panthers pick in the later first round. But where's that defenseman? They got Sanheim, okay, but is he staying? Is he going? That contract, how long is his performance going to stay? They have Rista lining, more questions there. They don't have that blue chip defenseman. And if you look at trends now, look look at the guys who have the most points of defensemen. Like 80% of them are guys who are drafted in the first 15 picks and drafted pretty recently. If you look recently, the number of defensemen who are getting drafted higher and, and earlier is, is, go, is going back up. We're starting to see defensemen getting picked earlier and earlier in drafts again. And, uh, you know, I think, yes, that's a huge part because Heiskanen, McCarr, you know, a lot of these guys. But Wayne I mean, Hughes. Quinn Hughes, but it's even guys like Rowenski. There's you're going even if you really mess up. Let's say Flyers, they drafted Provorov, who probably lied about his birth certificate and was oh, older. Oh come on! I'm 
I'm come on. Uh, no, I'm not doing I can't, that. I can't name sources, but I'm taking this from inside hockey sources that I've met through coaching. Uh, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, you know, when he came over to Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, and joined the junior Penguins, that's that's there's a that he changed his birth certificate at that point. And one of the reasons he came was because he was not good enough to make the age group back in Russia. Take it for what you want. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I've noticed when it, when it comes to the NHL, but I, I have enough good value on that, that to, to believe in it. That didn't for when he was a flyer. And in the beginning, I didn't care about it. Doesn't matter. Um, but you know, like he, at worst, you're still getting somebody who's played how many NHL games already, how many minutes, is still probably a four or five defenseman on a playoff team, and is still young enough that you can co- you can probably limit and coach around, you know, some of his boneheaded mistakes on the ice, off the ice. Uh, that's a whole different. I, I can't you know speak to that, but you know you're go even if you fall on your face, you likely still get a useful defenseman and useful defensemen go for how much when they're 28. Well, well think about, well, I want to, I want to make this point. You know? Noah Dobson's also having a great season and he was a very oh, high draft pick. Noah Dobson, one of the guys I said that the Panthers should draft instead of a forward that they didn't not okay. saying, you know, there's just a lot. Well, you look at, you look at, I mean, there are exceptions. There's Brock Faber, who might end up winning the Norris the way things are going. Like, stupid what he's doing right now. Like, this yeah. is... It's, I don't know if it's possible to continue, but it's really, really stupid and kind of funny. But I mean, your getting, point about defensemen is, is well taken, though. And, yeah. and if you make... And I'm not saying they have... The Flyers need to tank or whatever, but going from, you know... definitely making the top 16 draft picks and missing the playoffs versus being, you know, at this pace, they're drafting 22, 23. I mean, I think the defenseman you get, you know, at that you're, you're, you have to have teams not take guys and have someone fall to you in the twenties to get a Brock favor, you know, a Brock favor fell to 45, I think, or 46 or something to the Kings originally and stuff so like there are guys like that that you can still get but the majority of the dynamic offensive guys and like Faber is going to be good but he's never going to be an off the guy who puts up huge numbers like if you want one of those guys who puts up huge numbers and is good defensively and usually has size and good skating and all that like you're going to have to spend a top 15 pick like if you you know like that's just the name of the game and as it gets more skillful and defensemen become more important because skating the puck out of the zone is going to become a bigger and bigger key to to winning hockey games. You're going to need to take chances like that. And I think, you know, Florida has to do the Brock Favor route. They have to get the Evan Nouses, glow. They have to get the the Forslings and the Mahoras and glow them up because they don't have the picks. The Flyers have the picks. They have the with two first round picks and some more picks in the future and you know being the rebuild they have the luxury of saying okay we're gonna we're gonna if if one of the defensemen we really like is there at our pick we're gonna take them because we can get you know we have two shots here in the first round 
Let me see how many shots they have in next year's. Uh, Florida, I'm looking at Florida's pick. They don't have a shot in the second round until 2025. And they don't have a shot in the first round until 2026. And those picks are up for grabs starting this trade deadline. So, you know, yeah, th- that might not be the case. So it's okay that Florida is not going to be, you know, moving up and take and like is going about defensively, going about finding defensive different ways. They have Forsling. They have Montour. They have Ekblad. They, you know, they have Mikula, who's turning into a a number four for the next three years. You know, a guy you can rely on for a couple years during a prime cup run window that fits, you know, fits the team, is liked, you know, likes by the coach, trusted by, you know, like all that stuff matters. They're setting themselves up right. It'd be nice for them to find somebody who's like going to be a long-term Ekman Larson. Uh, or, you know, if they lose one of Montour Forsling, they're going to need to find some skill to replace that. I think eventually they do lose Ekblad. It, to me, I'm not team trade Ekblad. Definitely not this year. Let's get through this year. Uh, his stock's not going to be high enough this year to do it anyway. Um, maybe in the offseason when he has one year left on his contract. But I'm just team. Let's see what he wants to get to re-sign. Let's see if he's willing to take a pay cut and do everything. To, to stay with the team, but he's a good value to keep now, you know? And, and that's the type of guy that Philadelphia needs. They need an Ekblad, but they need an 18-year-old Ekblad. They need someone who's 17 right now, really, <laughs> to be honest with you, or just turned 18 um, to, be, to be their Ekblad. And now's the best year because Michkov's coming two years after this year, right? So... You know, that gives the defenseman two years to make it to the NHL, and then they kind of grow in the NHL together because the, ta- the talent adage is it takes 300 NHL games. I don't know if it's that much. I th- or maybe was it 250 or something he said, 300 or 250 games? I think really, you know, 200, 250 games is you, – you need defensemen to get that many under their belt to really understand what it takes to play day in and day out where they can go into a season and plan for the success and be a monster all 82 and a playoff run. So, you know, for the Flyers, you, you, you want the fire to get put out sometime. You're hoping maybe Christmas break, maybe, you know, the, the all-star break, you know, really dampens it and someone blows them away with a Sean Walker offer. Someone gives them a center prospect and a first-round draft pick, and they're like, hey, this could be a two- or three-third-line center, and this is a first-round draft pick this year or next year. We have to say yes to this. There goes Sean Walker. There, And then the trades start happening. And um, But I, I think if you thought Carter Hart was going to get traded, that's that's gone. I want to get you to talk about now what you think they, they should do. Like At this point, you don't – I mean – you're not the Blues who will be looking like they're kind of in the playoff race and trade off players and then they fade. Or like last year with Nashville, which traded away players and still almost made it anyway. I think in this case for the Flyers, you kind of want to build on the goodwill because things have been so bad lately. You kind of have to get people back into the building in some ways. They're not like they're, you know, that there's it's not like it's empty. But you want to 
build on all of this and say it's found money. We might as well keep the yes. found money going. I mean, we're not going to say that we're ahead of schedule, which is kind of what Keith Jones is saying. Like we're going to enjoy this. This is fun. We might make the playoffs, and playoff revenue is good and all, but it doesn't change our long term plan. It's not like we're going to get fooled by no, this. No, but it's like if they make the playoffs. Like, okay, let's turn those two draft picks into one higher draft pick and get that defenseman. Let's do that. You know, like, hey, you know, that's just what we're going to do. And we'll, we can make up with the, you know, we can sell we can sell some guys next year and get some picks and backfill it, you know, whatever. We'll be fine. We're at the, you know, we still got a couple more years of the rebuild. You know, maybe they can flip Morgan Frost for a pick or something if that torts doghouse never goes away. You know, he is 24 turning 25. At some point, it's like, you know, he's RFA eligible or, or arbitrations eligible at the end of this contract. It's not a long contract. Like, you know, you have to make a decision quick on this guy. Um, you know, maybe you fill out picks that way. But, you know, I think Lawton is a guy that's still, you know, he's having a bad year. Um, so you might not get much, but I think like that's as deep into the core as you're going to get like the hearts and the connectees, the Farabees that were maybe once rumored aren't going to get traded. Sandheim too. Sandheim. I mean, you'd have to blow them away. I still think Sandheim does get moved, but I think Sandheim's traded before Michkov comes with the, to the flyers, but he's playing so well that, you, it's not you a want, deal you could do in season well, at this point anyway. You want them to hold value and knock a little term off. It's it's kind of like his contract, the cap hit isn't too bad, and it's not going to look really bad when the cap explodes. And if the term is one or two years less, that's going to be interesting. You know, like when he's 29 and he's got four years left, or you know, and the, the cap's five or you know, at least six or eight million dollars more, his cap hit's not gonna be so bad. It'll be four or five percent, whatever. That's that's like what Sean Walker makes right now. Um team teams will go for it. And I think that's when you get the most for him. He has a no trade. So, you know, you kinda have to time it right anyway. Um but like the guys who I'd be looking to move, Ryan Palin. This is a guy who's twenty four, he's He's got his contracts done at the end of this year, but he's having a, a career year. He's just jiving. If a team wants a good fourth line center who can put the puck in the net, win faceoffs, and all this stuff, and you know, you might be able to get a better pick than you thought get signing him, and you signed him to trade him anyway. So you know that's fine. But you know. Uh, Again, I would move Scott Law, and I thought it was a mistake not to move him last year. I think they probably are kicking themselves now, especially since they're playing so well, and it's not because Scott Lawton's adding the grit or doing anything like that. He's kind of a passenger this year. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that is. Uh, like Stahl, someone someone will have to take Stahl. Um, I think if you if you can get – but I also think they might keep him if they're not going to get a fifth or better – maybe even a six, if they can't get a six or something for him, it's just like a seventh or some, some, you know, minor leaguer who maybe is a bottom six forward. You know, I don't think they do it because they might make the playoffs. Doesn't it kind of feel like they're probably just going to ride along with everything. If decent I mean, come along, they do something. If not, I, why, why bother? I think that 
they make three trades. And I think they do make the Walker and Sealer trade and they go into the playoffs and they're just like, okay, you know, we've banked enough. I think by trade deadline, they will bank enough points where they will feel comfortable. If they continue at this pace, they will definitely feel comfortable. Like, even if we start losing games and we make the team worse for the playoff series, we're going to be a wild card team. We'll get that one series of playoff revenue and we'll see, and we'll see how they do. And, you know, Moving out Walker and Sealer gives York, gives other defensemen, maybe you can pull an Emil Andre up. You know, it gives you it gives you the chance to really look at things. Uh, but more importantly, you know, Bobby Brink's 22, Forster's 21 and having an incredible year. I love Bobby Brink. Please watch Bobby Brink. Um like I think at worst Bobby Brink is going to turn into Cam Atkinson, like a Cam Atkinson type player, but I think he's got a lot more opportunity and ability to be a, a little special, more special because he can create plays, he can make plays for others that weren't there. He, his vision's just incredible. Forster's just shooting the lights out, and you know, Tippett's having a great year, but Forster's having a better year and is three years younger. Not that it's a competition. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of guys that I wouldn't want to move, but like, can I find someone for Cam Atkinson? I don't need that veteran presence. <laughs> you know, he's, w- would Columbus take Cam Atkinson back to sell some tickets or to, you know, get rid of some, something or to, you know, maybe in the off season, they'll take Cam Atkinson back for a year. Um, On that note, can I talk about a couple of uh, teams in the East that, as we attempt to wrap this up, but it's why hockey, so prepare for 30 more minutes of talking coming. Yeah, I'm talking a lot today. You are, but it's fine. You have a lot to talk about with the Flyers because we haven't really focused them on previous shows. But in the sense of right now, we are looking at teams in the East that are struggling to get out of the rebuild phase and into winning. And the Flyers have accidentally found their way to being second in the Metro as we record this. And I'm looking at the Atlantic because everybody's like, oh, this is the year the Atlantic turns over. This is the year it changes. And the top three is exactly the same. And right behind Detroit is Tampa. So the Senators have Jacques Martin coaching them in the year of our Lord 2023 to be 2024 in 10 days' time. That's great. The Sabres, people are chanting, fire Don at Sabres games now because they're a mess and the Red Wings have fallen off a little bit in recent times because their shooting percentage was stupidly high and never going to stay that high and then they also have a goalie issue their one decent goalie this year is Alex Lyon and he got hurt just as he started being good again and it's and it's a struggle to me to find you know, and we're also talking about a team like New Jersey, who is going through injuries, of course, but also they can't get saves. Like, we're talking about teams that are trying to accelerate out of rebuilds and get to the phases of contention, and they're really, really struggling to do so. Where you look at a team like the Flyers, who openly are in a rebuild and are doing a lot better, when you look at all of the good teams in the East, where you're like, oh, they're still pretty and even Washington which is not a great team by any stretch of the imagination they're doing better than a lot of these other teams and Montreal is going to deal with this at some point too they, they're not there yet you know what I mean like why is yeah. it that we're seeing teams 
really... I mean, these are not great franchises, the Sabres and the Senators, understand, and the Red Wings of the last decade. But why are these teams really struggling to get out of rebuilds and get into contention mode where you're seeing the teams that we all thought at some point they're going to drop off, right? Well, no, they haven't. They're still exactly who they are. And I'm just trying to figure that out because... It is an existential problem for the Senators and the Sabres and these teams expecting to make a jump, and they're not able to do it. And both of those teams are pretty much cooked for this season. So you're kind of wondering, why is this happening? Well, the the guy, the teams that are good, they have players that are used to playing and getting results under pressure whether and, and not really having excuses like the excuses of injuries or of bad luck or, you know, because like the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? If you go to the locker room right now, I bet you they're not, they're upset about their play. They believe they can do better and they know they're not out of it and everything. But, you know, they, it's not the standard that they want to play and it's going to be corrected and they're going to find a way through. They have the experience to get it done. In the same way that a lot of any, a lot of good prospects just don't make the, and a lot of good AHL players just don't make the jump to the NHL. They can't play at that pace. They can't play at that speed con- consistently and well enough, consistently enough and well enough to be an N- everyday NHLer. There's guys, there's teams who, um, in the same way, who just aren't good enough on paper in the locker room, like their mentality. Uh, to play under pressure. I mean, we look at Florida. There is a pressure of being the team that everyone's getting up to play physically and mentally. Um, you know, everyone's marking the Panthers on their calendar, especially in the East. They want to beat them. They don't want. They definitely don't want to get bullied by them. And they're, you know, that that's a game. That's a regular season game that means a little more. That's a pressure to be that every night. Um, you know, there's guys who've been that their whole career, like Andre Pilat or Alex Kalorn and stuff. And that's why teams like the Ducks and the Devils go out and get these guys because they can hopefully teach other people what it's like to perform night in and night out and to be good consistently. It's hard. Like it's, it's there's only so many teams that can contend. It's hard to be one of those few teams that contend over six to eight months meaningfully every, you know, week in, week out. Florida's relatively, since the Zito era started, having a relatively easy time of matriculating from a middle-of-the-table team, you know, middle-of-the-standings team to a expected winner and a consummate you know close to 600 percent winning percentage you know like that's the points percentage like that's what's expected of them uh night in night out and it's it's hard uh i think you look at buffalo this is you know they're i and the senators these are every summer their fans talk a huge game I mean, we we talk about it all the time on the podcast. We love making fun of it. Well, um, I try to hold off on it sometimes because I get why these fans want to do that. And you know what? Let them crow a little bit. 
they're rooting for teams that have been terrible for right. most of their lives in many cases. But, but you know, it, it's the Sabres are, you know, the Panthers luckily already had a decent core to receive Maurice's message. The team that was there was built from the net out with, you know, with the idea of you need big, not not so big, but not definitely small. The Panthers don't have a uber small defense of defenders who can skate really well up and down the ice. That they have de- centers who can play really good in all three zones. You know, this is something that, you know, and then just adding on the playoff hockey really set them apart. They were lucky. They're trying to get this Buffalo Sabres team to play consistent. You know, look at them. They're awful defensively. The Senators, awful defensively. Like, that's hard to argue. That, like, they, they're easy to battle against. They're easy to beat on the scoreboard and on the ice. Like, yeah, they might be chippy. They might fight and do everything. But nobody fears the Senators. Nobody fears the Sabres. But people quickly feared the Panthers even before they won playoff series. Even in the regular season when they're on their torrid pace. Like, they were playing a game where teams were taking notice. Media was taking notice. And that's the same with the Flyers now. Like, they have the right mix of the people giving the message the right mix of people receiving the message and the right mix of fit and timing. Like, you know, the Flyers have a lot of guys who should start excelling in the NHL, given their age, their pedigree, and their development. And it's working because it's a good fit. The message is being received well. And, you know, like you said, they're really running with the underdog thing. Just like the Panthers used to really run with the Pissick hybrid thing and they ran with the you know the president's trophy of like we're just gonna we'll win every game we'll find a way to win every game we'll score a bunch of goals we'll win this way and that way we'll come back we'll bury you in the beginning we'll bury you in the third period you know like sabers what's their identity oh their identity is that they have a lot of good young draft picks that's not an identity that's not how you play hockey their identity is like you know, Don Granado and this and that. It, like, there's nothing, you can't really speak to it. Same with the Senators. The Senators is that they they're th- they have a new owner. Their, their identity is that they're... They have the other Kachuk. Yeah, they, they're, they have a core and they think it's time, so they're bringing in pieces. So they brought in Giroux and Tarasenko and, and you know, Chikrin and all that. That's their, But that's not an identity on ice of how they play and stuff. It's... I mean, you could break it down to X's and O's and how they try, how they play and all this stuff, but like, you look at any team that has success for multiple periods of time and has a legit shot at the cup, you can speak to their identity. You are there are teams that you do not want to play in a playoff series. The teams that annoy you, that is why they're good consistently. Are you seeing that maybe it's harder for some of these teams to graduate to a playoff style like well, what Florida I, did? Because what we're seeing well, is... It's one thing to have prospects 
put up good numbers and to play good individual games. It's another thing to assemble a roster of prospects that fit together and fit a vision that's going to be played when they're of age. I mean, Casey Middlestat, Dylan Cozens, Tage Thompson, like they have a lot of good players. Why is it not working? Or do they have too many similar skill sets? Do they do they have guys that like just all play the same way? Do they not have guys that gel and really bring out the best in each other? Huberto and Barkov brought out the best in each other. Barkov and Kachuk bring out the best in each other. If you think about like Tippett, Tippett needs guys like Farabee, and you know Frost needs guys like um, Frost and Brink need need you know some guys like Coots and Lawton. You know, like there's there's a hockey science to it. You can get at it through data. You can get at it through eye tests and old school mentality. You can, you know, mix it. You can mix and match with a hybrid approach and get at it too. I think, you know, there's truisms in hockey that all the schools, I think, believe in, and I think the teams that you see just have that success, they're the ones that get it all right. Whether it's luck timing whether it's money whether it's because they're historically good so they get so the good coaches and the good front office like you know more people want the job in philadelphia being the president of hockey ops than buffalo than ottawa that's just the statement of fact you know you you're gonna get better people whether it's whether they played for the organization or not you know danny Briere left Buffalo famously for Philadelphia because he had more belief in Philadelphia being a consistent winner. And he went to the Stanley Cup because of it. And he almost won the Conn Smythe. If they won the Cup, he definitely would have won it. And he was still voted pretty highly and while losing. Um, you know, like can I, can I also add something in right now as we look at who the really good teams yeah. are? in the regular season. Well, well, just real quick, I just my last point that I really wanted to to jam in there was and that's why it's so impressive that Florida is able to do what they've done so quickly. You can argue that Talon's 10 to 13 years, however you want to define it or add it up, um, brought them higher in the rankings of people's public opinion, players, coaches, front office, agents, all fans. But, I mean, the glow-up that they've done is be- as a franchise is better than any glow-up individually a player has had for them. Or maybe all their players even cumulatively. Like, it, it is ridiculous. Oh, the- they went from a joke to being... Argued like we joked for years about the the favorite team of Vinny Viola is the Tampa Bay Lightning, but there was a truth in that joke that we were trying to get out there. Like they clearly wanted to be what Tampa is, and now they're kind of they're not there yet, but they're kind of there. And the Tampa blueprint made a ton of sense for a franchise that shares everything but the city and a little bit of history. Right. And being Tampa in a way, was your internal consistency day in and day out, the standards that you set while you're there, and not just being a place you want to go to because the weather is nice and your taxes are low. It's because you can expect to win when you're there and you're going to be treated in a certain way. And that is what yeah. Tampa is, and that's what Florida has gotten well, to. I, 
I I think if they continue on this trajectory, if the, if the Panthers are the Panthers they are now, and they continue to win, you know, maybe one year they don't win a playoff series, but the mo- more years than not, they win playoff series. One, two, three, for the life of Kachuk and Barkov's contract. So that's six more years after this year, right? Yeah. They will be worth a billion dollars as a franchise. Which you would have never said before because I they were the lowest ranked franchise for because years. The 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 I I see, you know, they're by the end of that contract, I think they will have enough clout to move the arena that they play home games in to Fort Lauderdale, which would be a huge, huge economic boon and would raise their evaluation. And I think that, you know, between Barkov and Kachuk and everybody else that stays around for the next six years and the, you know, for you looking, there's four or five players that were born and grew up somewhat in Florida on the U.S. national team that's in the World Juniors just this year. We've seen Gothis Bear. We've seen the draft picks coming, you know, as, you know, the four ones that are on the U.S. national team this year and stuff like it's going to get bigger and bigger. Fort, Fort Lauderdale is a big TV market for hockey than most people realize. Miami overall. But, you know, yeah, the other thing like, that helps them, and I'm going to say it, and it's not meant to be crass, but I am saying, like, there are a lot of wealthy white people where the Panthers play and live. That's the hockey demographic. I'm not saying they shouldn't be getting to more people, but that's the hockey demographic. A lot of old people which means there's a lot of golf courses which is also hockey demographic true you can also you can boat they love boats because you know they don't have waves in the lakes and stuff and the ponds up north so they they like the boats and uh you know they like the the fishing and and all that like it's a great place to be you know you can set down roots you can buy a house there knowing that if you spend a couple of years there and ultimately get traded, you can still come back at the end of your career because you can coach, you can manage, you can do all of that. I think a lot of what Florida is trying to do, and they're starting it, and I think the public tour of Hornquist is great for this. I wish I talked this up sooner and not so deep into a podcast, but that's what the Flyers do. That's showing that they're building something where they want a strong alumni group, they want a strong front office. They want the best of the best to come there, play there, and stay there. And, you know, Flyers are going back to that. And pretty soon, we could have two teams competing in the Eastern Conference Final against each other or in the first or second round against each other. And they're being billed as the number one and the number two favorite to win the Cup. Or in we the go from, hockey derby. Yeah, or we go from, you know, one core to the next core. The handoff is seamless. You know, there's no lag time. You know, we, we could be very lucky here if everything continues as it does now. I, I want to make one point on just the style of play that's really working right now in the league before we go to World Juniors and we end this because I do want to have you wax a little bit about the World Juniors because it is that time. Look at the teams right now that are really sick. Because for a year, we, a couple of years, we thought, oh, this open, run-and-gun, wide-open offense is going to be the league-defining style, the Panthers in 21-22, basically. The Avs, the Oilers, things like that. 
But who are the best teams in the league right now? Boston is still Boston. They don't play like that. The Maple Leafs hit more than they used to. They're not the same team they used to be. Florida is clearly not the same offensive team they used to be. You have the Rangers, who are not that wide-open offensive team. You can't be when you play for Laviolette. The Flyers are the biggest surprise team of the year in the East. In the West, two of the top three are Winnipeg and Dallas. They don't play like that. Colorado is there, obviously. And then you have Vegas. They clearly don't play like that. Vancouver is Rick Tockett. Like, they have offense, but they're not that kind of wide-open run-and-gun team. And the team that everybody's sleeping on is one of the best teams in the league is the Los Angeles Kings, and they certainly don't play like that. So the best teams in the league right now are not run-and-gun offensive teams. They have plenty of offensive talent, but they're more balanced in that. They are very much more Florida 22-23 and Vegas than the run-and-gun offensive teams. And the run-and-gun offensive teams are finding it really hard to keep up because, you know, the Panthers got found out at some point. If you've got multiple tools in your toolkit, you know, it's harder to be figured out in that way. And that's what yeah. I'm seeing from the good teams in the league right now. I think it's it's still that continuation of the distillation of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, besides going over the cap and loading your team as much as possible and taking advantage of every loophole and every CBA thing you can to make the, to have the best and the most amount of bodies on your NHL roster as possible. You know, them and the golden Knights right now are showing that the key is to be what the Panthers are striving for. Take what they did in the playoffs last year, that game management and, and turn it into every day. The Tampa Bay Lightning, they know when to jam on your throats. They know when to be cheap. They know when to be physical. They know when to take their foot off the gas. They know when to rest. They know, you know, when they need to bear. Like, they know when they need to score on two-on-ones, and they make sure to score on those two-on-ones. Like, we always talk about how the Lightning, like, it felt like they always scored at the right time that really, like, if you were a fan of the opposing team, really made you want to turn off the TV. Like, at the, like right at the end of the second period to make it 3-1, uh, you know, shorthanded or something. Or Pat Maroon scores a disgusting goal the yeah. minute after you have a 90-second shift in the offensive zone yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like they just... But the do... other thing that Tampa does, the number one skill set that they have that the Panthers definitely acquired from them and that other good teams have, the Lightning do such a good job when they were at their peak, and they still do it now, of pushing you up to the line of what you can get away with and then pushing you over it. So you're the one who's taking all the stupid penalties. Like that drove Florida nuts in two playoff series. And And then last year, that's what they mastered. Yeah. And people hate that. Exactly right. Exactly. That is a great point. And like, that's part of the game management. Like it's not like the domination at, I think with the new skill and all the stats and the ability to use a, data science to work the cap, work the roster and, and have all this skill eventually came into how do we get that skill to play this hard nose? Because what does Vegas and Tampa have? They will, they, they will not let you win. It does not matter what you're talking about, whether it's picking up a stick on the ice, they'll keep knocking it away whether it's being annoying after the whistle or being 
the closest to the line without going over it, whether it's, you it's know, price is right rules, basically. Yeah, like they just, they will beat you any which way. And their biggest, their, it seems like their only game plan, the only thing they focus on, they talk about is we will win at all costs. It doesn't matter. Like, Stamkos will break his body. Kucherov will break his body. It doesn't matter. They I will mean, win at all costs. How many gruesome Panthers injuries yeah. did we see last year? Yeah. Like, um, and that's that's the style that's being. You know, Colorado had bits and pieces of it, but they were still more untamed Ferrari, unstructured Ferrari. That now that they don't have the squad that they did when they won the cup, you see them kind of struggling to find that commitment. Tate. Devon Taves is Oh, yeah, he just team- called his teammate out, yeah. He's calling out teammates and stuff, you know, not by name or anything. He was a true leader about it, saying that, you know, there's a lot of players that think they're playing a good game. There's a lot of players, you know, but they don't understand that what it means to be have a good game for the Colorado Avalanche is different. And what he's saying is basically what Maurice would say if they got away well, they did say that. If you yeah. heard him in some games, he's like, I don't remember when it was that he said this. You but basically, heard him say it last year. oh, he said it last year, but he also said it this year at one point. We're getting a little too loosey goosey, too run and gun. We got to get back to you know. And everybody's listening; they know exactly what he's talking about. And it's yeah. also a kind of player that is in that mold. And to go back to the original point about why our team's really struggling to get over the line, Detroit's the closest because everybody's wondering, why are they bringing in all these veterans? Well, the vets know how to do that. The young kids don't know how to do that. Why did the Kings go from not very good to suddenly accelerating and being pretty good? Well, they brought yeah. in a lot of vets, you know? like Yeah, and I think Detroit was looking around and, and you know, their issue with the rebuild was they never got that top pick. Um, but you still see that they're closer to breaking through yeah. than teams that did get those top picks that Ottawa did and and Buffalo. Yeah. Well, you know, they had to stop chasing the bad picks because at a certain point, you know, all of a sudden those European draft picks and the Drems and everything you've developing in Grand Rapids, they're matriculating and you're just too good. You're not going to be picking in the top five. Like, So then you have to bring in the vets because it's like, we don't want to be in the middle. We want to at least be getting playoff experience, right? And I think that Steve Eisman's like he he saw himself like next year we're on track. To he probably thought like they would be what the Flyers are this year, the scrappy underdogs who who probably aren't bad enough to be in the bottom five and everything. Looking at you know some of these Columbuses and all these in the Sharks and stuff. But they're not, or, you know, the Coyotes, like, but they're not. But the Coyotes have, this is the other thing that's interesting to me. The Coyotes have much more of that scrappy, underdogish, we're going to outwork you mentality than all of these other teams who should because, have that. Well, they, they have, they, they rallied around. We play in Mullet Arena. Teams, teams think we're not a real franchise and we, the, the, the you know the GM can't help what arena we play in. The coach can't help where we play. The players can't help. Let's go out and show them. And you know the fans. You know it's it's an identity. If they make if they make the playoffs, it's not going to be a bad atmosphere. It's just not going to be that profitable. You know what True. I mean? Like like that's the that's the issue with playing there is 
the Arizona Coyotes who need every dollar they, they can get so bad that they're playing in arena mainly to cut down operation rating costs because that's a bigger save because they don't expect playoff arena of playoff revenue. Now they might get it and everything, but it's going to be a good experience. I mean, like it's going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. Like you're going to get a bunch of drunk college kids and recent college kids. You're going to get a bunch of Canadian transplants who are, you know, in Arizona for the weather and stuff. You're going to like, you're going to get people, you know, fans coming in from the opposing team because they might think it's an easy ticket or something like that. Right. Like, but they have an identity. They rallied around that. They got, you know, they have some star players. They have a coach. It seems like you watch them play. There's not much difference between their first line and their fourth line, their first pair and their third pair in how you like the shape on the ice. They're all moving together in similar ways, whether it's the third pair and the first line or whatever mixed match. And that's what you get with Florida. They're guys that can play with everybody. And, you know, all their lines generally look alike on the ice to the point that the other team's announcers, when you watch their feeds, constantly get guys, you know, they're calling Stephen Lawrence Barkov and stuff because he's playing that high F3 picking off a pass because that's the team structure and that's what they're playing. You see it with Vancouver. You see, you know, Vancouver is probably the soft, I don't want to say soft, but they're getting there. They're probably the least refined in that running gun, winning battle structure. There's, but I think personally it's just because they don't have good enough defensemen. Like there's, they're still working over the roster and the team to fit Tockett. Um, and, but at and least Rick Tockett that. has an identity as yeah. a coach and but a it, player. Yeah. Like, I mean, it fits. The NHL is a copycat league, and that's going to change as soon as teams stop getting benefit from it, which would then make it not be a copycat league. Until so, then, <laughs> the new plan is copied. Well, well, no. Then I think then it's teams just going to be doing their own thing. I think that's eventually what you're going to get. And, like, if you really look at it, that's what if, – and if you look at it just specifically what Flyers are doing, that's what the Flyers are doing. They're not chasing a trend. Like, the trend is just coming back to what the Flyers so, – So what you're trying to basically say was. is it's you're going to get more – actual stylistic differences in the way teams operate which is going to be because hockey it's pretty samey but you're going to have that in a way that in football you get it in soccer you definitely see it i think and, when the when the salary cap starts exploding more uh you're gonna i i think you're gonna start seeing that and you're gonna start seeing teams um you know develop spending money differently and you know i think you're gonna see you know, the Flyers are going to be the Flyers, but I think there's going to be teams like the Devils or, you know, maybe like the Sharks, maybe like the Ducks or the Blackhawks, who knows how they're going to be. They're going to be something totally different, and they're going to be built around that core, and it's not going to change. Like, you're not going to... Connor Bedard, they could try to build a high-flying, we're just going to put up 20 on you. And with Bedard, you might. I mean, that kid's ridiculous. He has nobody, and he's putting up. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And you know, there's a lot of teams that are chasing skill and chasing the entertainment that skill brings, the 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 butts and seats that brings. 
And there might be teams that just might be fine being like the Minnesota Wild. We'll make the playoffs every year. We'll bank on that. But we don't need to be more than that because, you know, the Minnesota Gophers are the number one hockey team in the state. And high school hockey is, you know, really important. Like, we're just never going to have that team. That's fine. I think you're going to see teams like that. Um, Maybe not Edmonton. Maybe not Canadian teams. But, you know, I think the Coyotes are definitely the easiest team. I think the Senators, I think the Blue Jackets will, you know, find something that works for them that draws people in and wins them enough hockey games and keeps them going. Ah, uh, Yarmo, it's going to be nice to see you when you're a Panthers consultant I, next year. I think, I'm joking. I, that would be nice. I would welcome that. I just wouldn't want him to be my GM for a long time. Uh, I think people wear out their – I think every, I think at a certain point, you know, Tortorella said this, there are certain people and certain jobs where you just need a change. And I think GMs and coaches are, are two of those jobs – there's the Larry Bird rule, three years, and then they stop listening to you. I think if the more we're going to have less individual ownership of sports teams, private equity, uh, you're going to see, you know, multi club ownership models, yeah, multi club ownership models, and all this stuff. We're going to start to see Saudi and Chinese money, and, and well, all definitely not the latter, the former, possibly, I, but even I'm, I don't think so. But I mean, in these private equity firms, who do you, you know, like if, nebulous. if, you know, Manchester city could buy a hockey team. That's not out of, you know, you know, the Saudi investment fund could buy a hockey team. That's not, you know, they, uh, I don't know about that. That, that. That's something that could happen or they could buy stakes in a private equity. Well, portfolio. we, we so saw that, the, the, the Qataris invested in monumental sports. So that right. that's the first step of it. But so I, anyway. you know, we're, we're getting there, but it's going to be more profitable and more reliable. Like in any metric you want to do business or hockey wise, I think to find an identity that works in your community, works for your team and has a chance of winning. Cause I don't think there's one way to win. And that's why I think you see the cycles of the teams are winning, doing this way. And then they're winning, doing that way. You know, I think, um, there's lots of ways to win. There's lots and... of ways to win because in the NHL you have the salary cap equalizing everything. How expensive and how risky is it to tear down a team and build a team a different way? Because that's what's in trend. It, it t- you know, you have to fire guys, you have to pay guys gold. You have to give executives golden parachutes. You know, you have to give coaches, pay them to not coach for you. You have to buy out players. You know, you have to, you know, you spend a lot more on fan events and stuff like that to keep the energy. You buy, usually that's when you do the different uh, retirement nights and you get new um, upgrades in the arena and things like that. Like, it's expensive to do those turnovers and rebuilds and stuff. Whereas it's not expensive to have a template and to continue building through that template that vision and i think you can see sustained winning it's easier you know you're constantly having that turnover within that same vision you're going to hopefully have similar results and it's going to be easier and you're going to have less jarring periods of transition when you know someone retires or you know a core you know ages out or whatever 
or things just don't work and you don't win enough, you know, it's going to be easier to plug in pl to bring in a new coach because the coaches are going to be of that system and understand generally what you want to do. They'll make tw tweaks, they'll bring in their own guys, all that stuff. But generally, the pieces are there. You know, they brought in Maurice, a coach that they thought fit the team, similar to Flor uh, Philadelphia. They brought in Tortorella, a coach. They brought in Jones. They brought in Briere, guys that they, that fit the vision they wanted. And the plan is for 10 years down the line for that to be the same. Not to change based on what team won the cup two years ago and other teams are following, you know? So I, I look really, I, I really look forward to that because I think as fans, that's what, that's going to be the best hockey you get. That's going to be the most chance of sustained winning for your, whatever franchise you follow. And, you know, I think it'll allow teams like Arizona or, or teams like that maybe won't ever win a cup to lean into identities and stuff that might be more fruitful in their market. Still could, and I want to say this has been a really good discussion on some more existential stuff, and it's perfect. This is the time of year when you talk about existential things. It's the end of a year. New Year's resolution time. Other thing it's time for is the World Juniors. I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about what you're looking forward to because this is one of your favorite events. It's probably not something I'm going to be watching a whole lot of because it's earlier in the day, and I'll probably use it to watch soccer, got to be honest. But there are some prospects I think you're going to probably want to talk about. So yeah. uh, what are you looking for well, with the World Juniors? in this tournament other than Canada losing and that creating a international crisis let me just because Canada up, loses uh, hockey. Uh, let me just pull up my dress sheet. And well, let's just start with Canada. Yes. They're the favorites. Uh, the Boston Bruins giving them Portois, uh was unexpected and put, if they weren't number one, puts them over the edge to make them the number one favorite. But again, this is Canada. If they're not winning, that means they messed up. Uh, like that's the, like, when, when I talk about Hall of Fame, when I talk about careers, when I talk about international play, you know, if you're Canadian or if you're on a Canadian national team or if you're the Canadian national team, gold is expected, silver's passable, anything else deserves a review and a postmortem. Like and the fans and the media and everybody treats it that way. I'm not the only one who thinks that way. And, uh, man, I think they're going to do great this year. Macklin Celebrini is the number one, going to be the number one draft pick this year. He plays at Boston University, but he is a Canadian. He's one of the few Canadians uh, that doesn't play in the CHL. Um, he's clearly the number one guy to look for. Uh, I think he is going to be the most exciting in the prospect and, of the prospect variety out there. I mean, there's Cole Iserman, there's Sam Dickinson, I believe, made the Canadian squad. He's a defenseman and maybe the first defenseman to go off the board as high as number two, plays for London in the OHL. And obviously the London Knights are a pretty well-known uh, developer, so that's you know one of the reasons he's getting a lot of love early on. He's got the, the points, the defensive skill, and... Uh, plays for a good club and he's Canadian. So that's going to get you high in the rankings every year. Um, um, trying to think, you know, Finnish guys, Kansa Hellenius. I have him in my top five right now. Um, this is somebody who 
isn't like a Barkov Lundell where their defense first and their defense is so polished, but this is a guy who plays that finish style where he's not cheating for offense, uh, but he's incredibly offensively gifted. Uh, and I think the Finns, you know, the, I, I think they have a shot of a medal this year. And it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if it's you know the Finns versus the Americans or the Finns versus the Swedes in the bronze medal game, uh, but it I do think it's a good it's a big year for the the power four, which is the U.S., the Canadians, the Swedes, and the Finns. Um, all four teams should expect a medal and be going for a medal and be disappointed if they don't get them, um, and. This is a year where the Americans don't play late on New Year's Eve. So uh, you will be able to watch, you know, get your Ameri- USA fix in of World Juniors before your New Year's Eve plans uh, kick if off. If you're not watching the NFL, yeah. as I will be, as my NFL well, team season slides into oblivion. Let me, let me pull up my uh, my schedule because I have a little Excel with every, every game because uh, I I need to take off work to to watch this stuff. Uh, we're in Sweden this year, so like it's, New Year's the latest game start at one thirty Eastern time. Yeah, New Year's USA will be done by breakfast. They start at six a.m. Canada's Canada's the one thirty game, so Canada will be done by three three o'clock in Toronto. Well, o'clock, more like four, but close enough. Okay, yeah, four o'clock in Toronto. They don't have as many commercials, you know, it's not as, but maybe it will be, I don't know. Well, TSN produces the broadcast, so. Yeah, that's true. But um, we're in Europe, so things move quicker. Um, Can I just say the only thing I'll note about the World Juniors this year that is is interesting to me is that there's seven Boston College players on Team USA. It is oh, yeah. it is just the Boston College Eagles pretty much, I mean, and that yeah, Boston, I've never seen that before. Yeah, Boston College and Boston University are, I mean, they just like you would imagine it would happen if the NHL got rid of the draft. There's a couple schools that constantly get the four or five ridiculous first round draft picks every year, you know, that <laughs> join the freshman cr- class and like Boston, U, Boston college, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, sometimes yeah. Wisconsin, sometimes, you know, Denver, Denver right now does really well. Panthers um, prospect Denver, Jack Devine's killing it. Yeah, and Denver's coach, uh, Matt Carl's brother. Uh, they won the national title last year, and he's coaching the USA team, I believe. So they should they should have a good year. This is a year where I hate to say it, I like the USA team. It like every year, I'm a USA hater. I think USA hockey is well there are like, reasons to strongly dislike usa hockey yeah. that's fine and, but i also think that the way that they choose to run the pro the national development program as one team in the ushl steal all the best instead of having them spread out i think you know like i just don't i have a fundamental disagreement with how they remove checking from you know, certain leagues and stuff and youth and just the way they run the youth programs, the way they run adult recreational programs, just everything I have a problem with. Um, but this year, I think they picked the exact best roster they possibly could have. I think they, right now, I think they're my favorite to win bronze and are my and could sleep be the sleeper pick to win gold i mean not much of a sleeper if you if they should win bronze but you know 
right now I have Canada, Canada, um, Sweden, USA, Finland in that order. And, but that's just my preference. I could, it could easily be USA winning or uh, silver medal, depending on how all the tables and playoffs and seeding and all that works out. It, that's it, is, it is interesting. I'll be definitely watching a little but, bit of it, as you always should. Yeah. It's fun. It's not like that for the Panthers, they have like two prospects in it. So that's not surprising. Yeah. The Flyers have a bunch more. I mean, um, this every team, I mean, there, this is one of the years where every team will be good. I mean, like Germany should be good. Switzerland will be good. You know, Czechs and the Slovaks will be good. Latvia is probably your worst team. But if you look historically uh, at the men's and the junior tournaments, Latvia does give teams more of a run for their money than you would. And then, of course, Norway. Uh, so Latvia, Norway is probably your relegation round but you know they could surprise um but i i and there's definitely going to be the blowout games the 10 nothings and stuff but i i think every team has people to watch and every team has guys who could make the nhl which is a far cry from these tournaments when i started getting really into them uh, at the beginning of the 21st century, which feels weird to say, but I it's, guess I said it that It way. is very weird. And perhaps with that being said, I think we should end this off because this is the last show for the calendar year 2023. We will obviously be back in 2024 yes. shortly thereafter. What a year it's been. The Panthers made the Stanley Cup final and we got to talk about it which, on this podcast. To, to put into perspective. That's uh, not what we were doing when Kip we started doing this show. Kiprios, Kiprios and Bourne. Two guys who've played in the professional hockey, one in the NHL for an extended period of time, and both are Leafs fans. They were saying that if John Tavares went to the Stanley Cup final as a Leaf, that would be an automatic bid to the Hall of Fame. So what and does that, that mean for be, Alexander Barkov? What, you know what I mean? Like that, I think that puts into perspective, one, how damaged Leaf fans are, that they're now begging for a conference final, I mean, a Stanley Cup final run, uh, and not winning. But anyway, like that, you know, they are using going to the Cup final, not winning, but just going there as this huge achievement for someone like John Tavares, who's a, who was an exceptional status player, played 15 years old, I believe, right, in mm -hmm. the OHL, number one draft pick, you know, took two teams or took one team as a captain deep on a couple runs, you know, has, has two series winning goals, uh, as captains on the two different. The furthest he has gone is the second round. Yeah. But you know, he, for him, like, like the year has been so good that the Florida Panthers went to the cup final. Like, Obviously, that that we don't want that to be the best trophy from the Barkov Kachuk era. But you can't say the Barkov Kachuk era will end without a meaningful trophy. They have won a meaningful trophy. They have. It's just not the most meaningful trophy. But if you think about it, because team trophies are the ones that matter the most. Flags fly forever. It's the second best team trophy they could have won. And we're two years in, and the second year hasn't even finished. 
when I think about it, just to, to wrap this up, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to it's fun to go back and again, not just listen to the podcasts we did, thinking about the last show of 2022 and how different it is to this one, but also and reverse jinxing them to success. I will. Uh, call it. I, I I don't know about that. Every time I predict good things for a team of mine, then Maryland basketball happens, and I don't want that to happen to the Panthers or the Jaguars, who have slid right down the face of a cliff. Uh, it's great fun that, but. The moments, the, they're moments you're going to remember for the rest of your life. They had all so many of them, seven overtime winners, eight essentially with game four against Carolina. You're going to remember those for the rest of your life. For the Florida Panthers, there hasn't been a better year, unless you count 96, which fair, unless you count getting a team, which I can understand that, but that was so long ago, I wasn't around at the point when they got the team. So the point is, enjoy that. I hope all of you enjoyed listening this year. The guests, Ryan Nanny was on the show at one point earlier this year. That was one of my favorite shows I've ever done. Haven't had as many guests this year as I would have liked to have had, but we're going to hopefully rectify that, hopefully rectify some of the writing on the Substack. It's a lot of... Don't make me do a, po- a power play post again at the Christmas season. I think I've done like seven of them because of the Florida Panthers. So Florida... Start scoring on the power play. Oh, and by the way, guess who they play on Saturday? Isn't that funny? And by the time we do the next show, which I'll figure will be two weeks from the day we're recording this, guess who they play the next day? Beat Vegas. You know, I don't even care if you beat them at home. Beat them in Vegas. Win one game there. They haven't won there yet. I know this is juvenile and caveman, but, um, like, win or lose. I, I want to I want the Florida Panthers to show me that it meant something. And if you can't beat them, beat them up. Like I, I want I want them I want even if you can't beat them up, I want you to go down swinging. I want those Vegas games to show that they mean something. That's all I ask. I don't think I have any doubt that they're going to not play their um, best hockey in the Vegas games. Uh, uh, one name, Zeev Buum. B- 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 he, yeah. uh, he has a brother that was drafted, uh, Shea. Uh, he plays out of uh, Denver right now. He's a USA defenseman. I think he could be the best defenseman in this draft class. I think he could be the best player on that USA team at this World Juniors. Uh, and... Uh, that is ex- if you watch him that's exactly the type of defenseman florida has been angling for with with all of their scouting pro and and amateur interesting and on that note good <laughs> night good year new year and good hockey <laughs> <laughs>